go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word and uh, make your way to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 if you're not already there. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we will be spending our time this morning, but also if you would, uh, maybe go ahead and stick uh, your finger there at 1 Peter 3 and uh, we'll be addressing, we'll be turning to Matthew chapter 16 uh, at the beginning of the sermon here. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, uh, just for a short bit, uh, somewhat even kind of set the stage uh, for 1 Peter. So 1 Peter chapter 3, stick your finger there, then uh, go to Matthew chapter uh, 16. And as you're doing that, I know um, uh, many folks this here in a a day or two, we're going to have a bunch of kids wandering around the neighborhoods in costumes and knocking on front doors, uh, asking for the sweet stuff, asking for candy. And uh, certainly there are varying opinions and perspectives on participating in that, but my encouragement to you that if you do leave the light on and allow the children to come and if you have candy, nice big candy bars ready for them, uh, the Dills provided for us uh, gospel pamphlets uh, that you can hand out to the children who are coming up to your doorstep and asking for candy. And so along with the candy that you're giving them, uh, go ahead and hand them one of these child-friendly looking uh, gospel pamphlets that then they can take back and we'll pray the Lord will use uh, in their hearts and in, in even the hearts of their parents. So again, we have these available at the information table out there. And so please uh, take Take, take, let's, let's, let's use them, right? They don't do us any good uh, sitting in here. Let's get them out there. And so those are available for those of you who are nice to children uh, when they come knocking on your doors. If you're, if you're mean to them and shoo them away, then don't take any of them, all right? Uh, so here we find ourselves, right, at First Peter uh, chapter 3. Uh, again, we're continuing through this teaching series uh, titled Steadfast, trying to figure out how to live, how to be steadfast in uh, a world that is certainly uh, opposed to the gospel. If I might just uh, begin with a few remarks, I believe it is uh, safe to say that most of us, uh, if not all of us, probably have some form of aversion to suffering, right? We do not like uh, to, to endure pain. Uh, we would, uh, we, our preference certainly is that we would not have to go through hardship. Uh, we try to steer clear of discomfort, of misery, adversity, difficulty, torment, anguish, and any other word to describe suffering that I found on thesaurus.com. Right? We try to stay away from all forms of suffering. We don't like the unfavorable conditions that bring discomfort or mistreatment to us. In fact, we tend to try to avoid suffering at all costs. But when it comes to the Christian life, suffering is reality. Mistreatment by other people uh, will happen. Okay, I think some of us, we, we tend to think that suffering, if, if, if people are mistreating me or if I'm having to endure suffering, that we, we, in our minds we think, man, maybe, maybe I'm doing something wrong here, right? Is God somehow punishing me uh, by allowing this mistreatment or this suffering for, for me to experience this, right? We think that maybe it's evidence of God being unfair. Have you ever thought that, right? I'm, after all these good things that I'm trying to do, and yet here God allows this? 
to happen to me or me to be mistreated in this way? Doesn't that person understand how nice I've been to them? Right? Or, or maybe we convince ourselves that because I'm experiencing suffering that maybe God is no longer paying attention, that we've fallen through the cracks. Maybe you've felt in that, that way before too. We forget that suffering is a part of the Christian life. Now this is where I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 16. Again, keep your finger there in 1 Peter chapter 3. But I want to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 16 because let's keep in mind uh, you don't have to be like uh, you don't have to have a seminary degree to kind of figure out who wrote the books of First and Second Peter, right? Who was it? Peter, right? By his name, there. These were letters that Peter wrote. In Matthew chapter sixteen, we're going to see Jesus having some interaction with Peter on the topic of suffering. On the topic of suffering, and so follow along with me as I read, starting there in verse twenty-one. From that time on, there in Matthew 16, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now look who responds here, verse 22. Peter took him, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, began to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So so Peter is like, right, Peter, part of that entourage that's probably viewed himself like like Jesus' bodyguard, as if Jesus would have even needed a bodyguard. Peter's like, no. I'm not going to let them do this to you. I'm not going to let them cause you suffering, right? Jesus then has strong words of rebuke for Peter. Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, listen to these words here, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, Jesus said, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels and then He will reward. And then He will reward. Let me say it again. And then He will reward each person according to what they have done. See, Jesus is setting the stage. And again, Peter, as we've been going through his first letter titled First Peter, Peter is helping these new believers to understand the importance of standing steadfast, of being steadfast in the face of opposition. And so what we see here is Peter himself had to learn this lesson, didn't he? That if you are sitting here and if maybe suffering seems to be like a, an unfair 
idea or a foreign concept to the believer, what we have to see is that Jesus himself said no. That suffering is part of the Christian life. And even Peter had to learn that lesson. And so now Peter is teaching a very similar, a same lesson to these readers of this letter and to those of us nearly 2,000 years later here as well. And so now let's go ahead and hopefully you got your pinky saving there, uh, 1 Peter. All right, so now let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 3. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, and let's look here and let's see what Peter has to tell us regarding uh, suffering uh, in, in our context today, all right? And, and again, so we're, we're learning that, that people will mistreat us. Over the last couple of weeks, we, we saw the importance of continuing to live in an orderly way, in a way of having an attitude of submission, even when we find ourselves within those relationships uh, where we are being mistreated. And so Peter is going to kind of conclude or or continue that thought here this morning. Uh, The big idea for our sermon is this. Go ahead and write this down. It's that God blesses those who suffer for the sake of righteousness. That God blesses those who suffer for the sake of righteousness. That is what uh, a primary theme that we are going to gather from the sermon this morning. And so jump here with me starting in verse 13 and listen along. As I read, it says, Peter writes, he says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, actually, let, let me, I'm, I'm, I want to jump to verse eight, all right? I can't, I can't forget that. Let me jump to verse eight here. It says, finally, all of you be like-minded, okay? So again, so now he's continuing this idea, this theme of how do we respond to those who mis- mistreat us? Verse eight, he said, finally, all of you be like-minded, Be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. But on the contrary, repay evil with what? With blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope, for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people 
eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you from the body, uh, saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And so Peter now, in these verses, he is helping us to know, he's continuing that thought, how should we respond to mistreatment? He's reminding us that suffering indeed is a part of the Christian life. And Jesus, back in Matthew chapter 16, establishes that foundation. Jesus says, if I'm going to suffer, you have to understand that you too will suffer. And Jesus then invites us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, and to follow Jesus, and to be willing to walk in a pathway that includes deep suffering. Again, the theme for this morning, the big idea is that God blesses those who suffer for the sake of righteousness, that this suffering is not without its reward. Let me say that again, that this suffering is not without its reward. And this morning I have uh, several different blessings that it seems we can, we can harvest here from these verses that hopefully we can be encouraged by. And the first one is the blessing of God's attention. It's the blessing of God being attentive to those who are in suffering, experiencing suffering. In verses 8 and 9, again, Peter's describing the response of a righteous person toward those who mistreat them. Right? What does he tell us? He says, don't repay evil with evil. There in verse 9, or, or insult with insult. And, and, in fact, Peter says, on the contrary, what should you do? You should repay evil with what? with blessing. Because why? Because this is what you were called to do. To bless those who persecute you. Right? I appreciate uh, Jesse and Karina and how they are raising their children. And one a parenting uh, tip that I have stolen from their family and their approach is uh, they, and this came up through the course of a conversation, and, and Jesse had made the comment how they often instruct their children to choose to be a blessing. And so because we had said, what man, when Aiden or when Sophia, when they come over, they're just so fun to have around the house, around our children. Like we want a little bit of Aiden to rub, rub off on some of my boys, right? We, we want that. There's a, and, and Jesse said, and that was a, a great encouragement to him, but Jesse made the comment. He said, you know, he said, um, one thing that we always tell our children is to always go and to be a blessing to that other person. Now, it's easy, isn't it, to go and be a blessing when you're at your buddy's house, right? I mean, sort of easy, right? Not always easy, but oftentimes it's easy. But what Peter is telling us here is that we should choose to be a blessing to who? To those people who are mistreating us. Now, is that often your attitude? Typically, I mean, my, my mind doesn't, like, if someone mistreats me or if, or if someone is mean to me, right, if someone cuts me off, and again, this isn't like for, for the gospel. I mean, typically people don't cut me off on the road or, or you know, because I have a fist sticker on, my, on the back of my bumper. That's typically not it. But, but when someone does something to me that I feel maybe I didn't deserve, sometimes my mind wants to go to what? To getting even. But instead, Peter says, choose to be a blessing to that other 
individual. Now, we also even see where Peter addresses, it seems there that especially in verses, in verse 8 in particular, that he's, he's drawing his attention, he's pointing toward the fellowship of believers where he's telling them, he's saying, finally, all of you, speaking to the church, he says what? Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. That within the context of the fellowship of believers, this should be our attitude toward one another, And it's then out of that fellowship that we experience together that then out of that is able to flow blessing toward those who mistreat us. I wonder if sometimes maybe one of the reasons why we struggle with being a blessing to other people is because our tank, our fellowship tank has grown very small, very empty that I I wonder if maybe as a church we are more effective in being a blessing to the world when we have deep community and deep fellowship with other believers. That what we do in here helps us live out the gospel out there. And so he, 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 te- he tells them, he says, have a unified uh, approach, right? Be sympathetic to one another, love one, right? Come along each, uh, alongside each other, bear up one another's burdens, be compassionate, be humble. And then he turns their attention and he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but instead be a blessing to other people. You see, our natural response to hostility is indeed retaliation, Deep in our hearts, we want to get even. Deep in our hearts, we have the tendency to want to seek revenge. But one of the ways that believers, Christians, one of the ways that we set ourselves apart from the rest of the world is how? By being a blessing to those who mistreat us. And one of the ways that we show the world that we will one day inherit a blessing from God is by being a blessing to other people, right? Sometimes you, you even, your, your mind might even think, well, well, if I'm a blessing to them, what's in it for me? Right? They, they, they just mistreated me, and yet I'm supposed to be a blessing, and yet that just leaves me kind of hanging out here with nothing to show for it. And what Peter says is you can be a blessing because there is a, a great blessing that awaits you for all eternity. You see, to be a blessing flows out of a disposition. It flows out of a heart change where we truly want the best for a person who's mistreating us. Hear me on this, okay? What is, so, like, ultimately, right, at the very foundational level of what it means to be a blessing, it's, it's turning to your enemy It's turning to that person who mistreats you and saying, I want God's best for your life. I think of Stephen, the first recorded martyr there of the early church in Acts chapter 7. I think of Stephen's example and some of his final words recorded to us in Scripture where in Acts 7 it says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, Stephen fell asleep. 
Stephen, Stephen is saying, I want, even as you hurl rocks at me, my heart is still that I would be a blessing to you and that you would, that you would understand the forgiveness of God and that God would not hold this sin against them. He wants the best for their lives. And then in verses 10 through 12, Peter continues, and, and Peter now is turning attention back to Psalm chapter 34. He's taking Psalm 34. He's, he's, he's bringing it into their day. I believe in this understanding is that Peter is, is helping us to see that this idea of being a blessing to those who harm us, being a blessing to those who mistreat us, is not a new idea just after Jesus came and said, love your enemies. But instead, it's been God's plan for all, for all, all along. And so Peter then draws their attention back to Psalm 34, and, in, and that's in verses 10 through 12. It says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their, their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Again, this is Psalm 34. It says, he says, They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And then verse 12 is helpful here because this is where the blessing of God's attention comes into play. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I want to pay special attention for just a brief moment there to to this beautiful promise of verse 12. It says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, that those who are suffering for the sake of righteousness have God's special attention. That suffering does not indicate God has turned His back on suffering for righteousness sake. Let me say that. That suffering for righteousness sake, suffering for the gospel, is no indication that God has somehow turned His face from you. But instead, suffering for the gospel is an indication that God's eyes are looking squarely at you. And his ears are hearing your cries for help. A week ago, we had a tragedy in our home. While we were gone, our cat, Fanny, somehow got into our house. And for an hour, Fanny had her way with Merritt's parakeets. And we got home and only to find out one of the parakeets had succumbed to death uh, at the hands of Fanny, our cat. She's only doing what a cat is made to do. So we don't, there no, right, no, Fanny's not in trouble at all. And, uh, and then on a Friday evening, uh, as we were driving home from the marriage enrichment evening, which was a wonderful time, we got a phone call from Thatcher, and he's like, Dad, Mom. The other parakeet has now died too because died of a broken heart. And, and Pearson, again, who's wonderful with words, he's already scheming a, a paper, a report for his teacher, Gina, over there. And it's going to be titled The Murderous Affairs of Fanny the Cat. So you can look at it in the, in the juvenile section at a bookstore near you. And, uh, but what's interesting is that you have a, a boy, a nine-year-old boy, whose heart is broken. 
And what does a parent do in that time? There's a special attention that is given to a heart that is sad. In fact, when we were driving home from the marriage enrichment evening on Friday night and we got that phone call, guess what I did? I sped up. I, I, I pushed a little bit harder down on the gas pedal. Why? Because a father and a mother wanted to be attentive to a tender heart. And church, these are the words of the psalmist. This is what Peter is helping us to see. That there's a blessing of the Father's attention, of your heavenly Father's attention, that you would not have if your heart wasn't hurting and experiencing suffering. There's a blessing there. There's a blessing in those special moments when God comes alongside you to help soothe your soul. If you've ever walked alongside a family member or a friend who is suffering in some way, you understand the blessing that is born out of such a, of such a labor. You understand the blessing that is born out of the pain and the hardship. There's a blessing that can bloom in, in a deepened relationship that would have never developed if it were not for the season of pain. You see, it's in our suffering for righteousness' sake that when we're suffering for the gospel, when we truly are picking up our cross, when we're denying ourselves, picking up our cross and following Jesus, uh, there's a comfort of our Heavenly Father that we lean into, that we find ourselves meditating more on God's Word, that we rely on His promises even more boldly, and that we anticipate His return more longingly. Well, here's then the next blessing. It's the blessing of man's questions. Again, these are blessings because Peter tells us that in your suffering, those who suffer for righteousness' sake, they will be blessed. There's then also a very unique blessing where it's the blessing of man's questions that Peter brings to our attention. All right, in this next section, and starting there in verse 13, Peter is going to... Uh, his instruction is that it's better to be hated by the world for doing good than to be loved by the world for doing that which is evil. Right? Peter says, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are better off to be hated by the world if you're holding firm to God's word and doing what is right. You're better off there to be hated by them to endure suffering than you are to be loved by the world and yet living in the worldly ways. Peter says, rather than fearing the, the world, we should what? We should fear God. That's where he says, set Christ apart in your heart. Revere Him. That we should prioritize our love for Christ. And that love for Christ will then be displayed in how we live and how we endure suffering. And what happens is when we live in this way, the world starts to take notice and begins to ask questions. There's a blessing in those questions. Verses 13 and 14, let's just read these quickly and it will ramp us right into verse 15 that many of you are familiar with. Peter says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? He says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. 
There it is, right? There, you are blessed if you suffer. And he says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. What, right, what Peter says is, Peter's not saying, okay, change what you're doing. Peter is giving us words of endurance, words of hope. He tells us that we should be eager to continue in the way of doing good works. That our lives should be marked with integrity. That we should seek to bless our enemies. That we should take initiative in reconciling broken relationships. That we should bear up the burdens of others. He says that even when we're mistreated, Maybe even by our employer, he's giving us instruction. You should still work your hardest for your employer. That you should be trustworthy. That you should be willing to go out of your way to help others. Now Peter's implying here, he's, he's, not, he, he's implying that there's no certainty in, in every situation that suffering will happen. But he's, 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 just, he's saying, but it might happen. And so what he's telling us is to continue to live a life, an upright life, a steadfast life for the Lord, even when you find yourselves in those situations of mistreatment for your faith. For example, some of these situations might look or sound something like this. Maybe your employer, uh, because they know you're a follower of Jesus, maybe they are looking, continually looking past you for that job promotion that you've wanted for a long time. Maybe that's a form of suffering. Maybe a form of suffering is maybe you're la- you're, you have a neighbor who doesn't follow Jesus and you've tried to love them well, but maybe that neighbor posts some unkind words for you on that neighborhood app that everyone reads. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people read and that gossip just spreads about you. Maybe you've tried to be nice and kind to that coworker, but they continue to spread rude, harsh or antagonistic, or have antagonistic thoughts against you. Maybe it's a family member who doesn't love the Lord, but you've tried to love them well. But maybe they begin to start rumors about you that are hurtful, or they send mes- text, or they send text messages behind your back. Young guys and gals in college, maybe the college professor understands that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and maybe they grade your project report unfavorably. Maybe it's the basketball coach who knows you go to church. Or maybe you go to youth group or, or, or you're a part, a part of a church or, or a small group and maybe the, the basketball coach has a thing against followers of Jesus Christ and maybe they keep you on the bench. Maybe, students, it's the group of friends that you used to spend time with and yet now you're following Jesus and you've made that change and, and maybe you no longer get the phone calls, or the invitations to come and hang out. In very small ways, you're suffering for the sake of righteousness. You're suffering because you've drawn the line in the sand and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And the temptation sometimes in such suffering is to compromise our faith, right? To pull back from the good works The temptation is to quiet our witness, to shrink away from sharing the gospel. The temptation sometimes is to question whether or not I'm doing the right right thing. It's that we're we're tempted to be hesitant and, and how bold should I be in my witness. But what Peter does here in verse 15, and this is so important, 
Peter, Peter is building, he's building up the re, our response and what he is saying is, is that, that your, how you live, your response is going to cause people to ask questions. Why is it when I mistreat you, why is it that I've looked over you for a job promotion all these times? Why is it that when I've posted on the neighborhood app all these things about you that aren't nice, and yet you still bring me a meal when my wife or my husband is in the hospital? Why is it that, that, that you've been looked over all these times and I just can't stand your good attitude around here in the workplace. Why is it that you still come and do the best job out of all the employees? Why is it? What makes you different? And this then is in verses 15 and 16. And listen to this. It says, but in your hearts, what revere Christ is Lord. That I'm, I'm living this way because that's how a Christian lives. In verse 15, he says what? And this is a familiar verse to many of us. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Oftentimes when we, when we hear verse 15, here's what many of us Here's where a lot of us go. Oh man, I need to go and learn apologetics. Right? I need to have an answer. Right? I, I, need, to have, I need to have some really well-stated response to my atheist friend to, who, who doesn't follow Jesus and they're continually antagonizing me and bombarding me with all these questions. I need to have some sort of philosophical apologetic response to all of their questions, church, that is not the context of this, this verse right here. What's the context of this verse? Is that your response to suffering would cause them to say, man, what is it about that person? That they don't repay evil with evil, that they don't repay my insults with insults, but instead... They just continue to be a blessing. What is it about them? And that's where Peter says, like, Peter's not saying, okay, now's when you really lay it on thick apologet with your apologetics. No. Peter is just saying, be ready to share with them when they have those questions. And your response might be as simple as this. Because Jesus has been gracious to me and I don't deserve it. And so I'm going to be gracious to those who don't deserve it too. It could be as simple as that. That's where that verse, that's the context. Like, you can know all the right apologetic answers, but what Peter is saying, if you don't know how to suffer and to be a blessing in that suffering, your apologetic answers don't mean a lick of good if your life doesn't display it. This past Friday, I watched an interview on CNN.com. It's still pulled up there. You might find it. This past Friday, I watched an interview of a man by the name of Leroy Walker. His son, Joey, was killed in the mass shootings there in Maine this week. The television anchor in this 
in this several minute long snippet. The television anchor is nearly dumbfounded by Leroy's response to the killer who took his son's life. And it's an emotional interview as this father is fighting back the tears as any father would. And as Leroy shared with this television anchor, and honestly, I I can't believe that it's still posted online, but how Leroy shared how he cannot hate the man who murdered his son this week. And the reason is because he believes in the Lord and that he is confident that the Lord will ultimately prevail. He, he said, like, and, and, and why, why is that man's interview posted, right? What is it? What is it that, that, that garners the attention of this television anchor is the fact that he's not like the others who might have, be harboring hatred or want the killer to get his due. The reason why that anchor is so curious about Leroy is because Leroy says, I can't hate this man. And he has a really thick Northeastern accent, so you got to listen carefully. Because, and he says it several times. He says, because I, I just, I believe in the Lord. I believe in the Lord, and I believe that the Lord will ultimately prevail. He says, he goes on, he says, I, I wasn't taught to hate people. And near the end of the interview, he says, God, I believe in God. Like, that's why, that's, that's verse 15 lived out among us here. To be ready for that response when they say, why, why do you respond differently to mistreatment? And then finally, the final blessing in church. Again, there is so much here uh, that we could dive much, much more deeply into, but we won't. We see here, though, this final point is the blessing of future glory. Verse 18 through 22 now point our attention to Jesus as being the perfect example of the one who suffered mistreatment. Right? When was the last time, church, that you considered the magnitude of Christ's suffering on your behalf? When was the last time you meditated on Jesus, the just one, dying for the unjust? When was the last time you, you thought about the spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice, taking on the punishment, the sins of the world for the purpose of restoring our broken and our dead relationship with Jesus Christ that through Christ's suffering, we are offered life Verses 18 through 22, Jesus said, or Peter writes this in verse, verse 18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? Why was Jesus willing to suffer? To bring you to God, to make a way. It says he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And then in verses 19, it kind of gets into some muddy waters that are hard to understand. It says, after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. 
and it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers now in submission to him. I have to summarize here, the primary point that Peter is making in these verses is that Christ Jesus is Lord over every power and every authority. That Jesus is even sovereign over the powers of suffering. That Jesus rules over those, the very ones who are persecuting you. And Peter is providing instruction to the believers here that because Jesus is Lord, the very fact that he was willing to suffer for your benefit and yet become victorious, be reigning victorious through that, Peter is saying that because Jesus is Lord, he's sovereign over all, he is saying that you too are victorious even in the midst of your suffering. And he says it happens through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's drawing some word pictures here. He refers back to Noah's salvation. He, he, he talks about Noah's salvation uh, through water. He, he alludes to Noah, right? How, how water was a means of judgment on the people, but yet through God's sovereign plan for Noah, water was actually a means of salvation. For the unbeliever, it was a means of judgment, water was. But for Noah, it was a means of salvation. Jesus then, through his death, for the unbeliever, death is a means of what? Of judgment. And yet it's through that death that Jesus is able to give life. For those who are, who are in opposition to the Lord... Their ultimate, that suffering that they will one day experience for all of eternity because they have failed to bend the knee to the Lord and to cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord. That suffering as a means of judgment, yet through the believer, for the believer, suffering is what? Is a means to glory. We have to understand that if, if we desire to be faithful to the Lord, we must understand that we will suffer on His behalf that there's a blessedness in our suffering. And what happens in the same way that water was a means of judgment for those who were opposed to the Lord in Noah's day, but then became a means of salvation for Noah, death for Jesus, a means of judgment for the unbeliever, but a means to life for the believer. Suffering, then, we have to understand that, that, that God reverses the world's intended effect of their persecution. That God reverses it. Rather than allowing, Peter says, rather than allowing suffering to discourage us, God uses suffering as a means of preparing us for future glory to join with Jesus, our Savior. Suffering has a way of maturing our faith. Suffering has a way of deepening our hope in Christ Jesus. Suffering has a way of lifting our eyes to the heavens. Suffering has a way of loosening our grip on this world. Church, there's a greater glory in heaven that is, that's been put on hold for you. There's a greater glory awaiting you that is in direct relation to your willingness to suffer. Our great comfort 
is not the affection of the world. Our great comfort is not in being treated fairly or with respect. Our great comfort is not in achieving favorable status in our community. Instead, our great comfort in the deepest and the darkest hours of persecution and suffering. What is our great comfort? Is the hope of an eternal home, of an eternal glory. And church, some of the greatest blessings of God are reserved for those who are willing to suffer for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of the gospel. God has a way of blessing those who suffer for Him. Would you close with me in prayer? Father, I pray now that You, through the power of Your Spirit, would take these truths and apply them to our hearts. God, help us to not simply hear this, but God, help us to live it out. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.